0: Welcome to the Chosen People radio program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York regional director.
1: Shalom, friends, and welcome to the chosen people. So glad that you've made time for us again today. And I hope that you've been listening to our series, exciting series, meaningful series, on the names for God. And uh, we've uh, begun a study on the Hebrew name Elohim. And with me is Bobby Walter, our regional director of Chosen People Ministries in the greater New York area. Welcome, Bobby.
2: Yes, shalom, Mitch, and shalom to all of our listeners. Uh, Mitch, I know we we were talking off air, and we are both very excited to pick up where we left off uh, on this series with the names of God. And specifically, you know, as, as you know, we, we last week talked a lot about Elohim, but not just Elohim, all the other complex names that sh- sort of spring forth from Elohim, where you take El, right, which is the shortened version, it means God, uh, and then another word is added to it. Uh, so, Mitch, why don't you kind of kick us off here with the uh, Jeremiah passage?
1: Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, Elohim Chaim, translated the living God. Mm-hmm. And in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10, we read, but the Lord is the true God. He's the living God, the eternal king. And that that passage is just action-packed. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's powerful. It, it's just very powerful. And... Uh, And we understand that in Jeremiah 10, verse 10, that the prophet is comparing the true God of Israel to the idols. In fact, uh, in verse 11, that verse is actually written in Aramaic, Hmm. and it's just sort of stuck in the middle of Jeremiah in Aramaic, which is the language that the non-Jews would have understood as well, Hebrew course would have been more of a jewish language aramaic would have been more of a middle eastern language right uh, at the and time. and just so that our audience
2: Jews knows like the 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 old testament the hebrew bible is written predominantly in hebrew but there are some sections written in aramaic and aramaic would have been the language spoken by the babylonians uh who took the jewish people into captivity in 586 bc
1: exactly exactly and so there's, in verse 11, there's a, a kind of a shot at the Babylonians, at those who speak and write Aramaic. Um, part of Daniel and Ezra yep. are also in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. But it's verse 10 that makes the positive uh, contrast. Number one, the idols are false, mm-hmm. but God is true. The idols are dead, but God is living. That's why the, the term is used. The idols are powerless, but God's power is infinite. Mm. And so when we read, but the Lord is the true God, he is the living God, and that is the Hebrew phrase Elohim Chaim, Mm -hmm. he is the eternal king. And so when you understand this passage in contrast to the gods of the nation, small g, then we understand what it means for him to be the living God the idols were never even alive. They're dead, <laughs> they're wood, right. they're stone, they're inanimate, there's nothing there. As Elijah would prove on Mount Carmel, as Isaiah said that you make gods out of wood then you use the rest for firewood. You know, there, there is nothing real to these idols. And if there is, it's demonic. Mm-hmm. And so they are not true gods at all. He is the living God, and we worship the living God as opposed to a dead God. So this is a great name, Elohim Achaim. I really love that passage, Jeremiah 10.10. It says so much, doesn't it? And I hope that it speaks to your heart. Another uh, complex term involving the Hebrew word El uh, is El Haneeman and that means he is the faithful god. Right. So Bobby, what is God faithful to? Yeah. I mean, he is he, is it to us, what to himself, what Yeah. What why is he the faithful yeah. god?
2: Such Bobby? such a good question. Such a such a good name for God too. El-Hanaman, the faithful god. And uh, it's based on Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. And one thing that we can say about Deuteronomy um is that what is in view when we talk about When we read about in Deuteronomy about God's actions, right, so much of it is taking place within his covenant promises. That is how uh, really Deuteronomy presents God to us. Continuously, Moses shows us in Deuteronomy that God is faithful to what? To the promises that he made, to the covenant promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the nation of Israel. So when we look in Deuteronomy seven verse nine, that's where we get this title for God. So the Hebrew is. Uh, ki adonai elohecha, so know, therefore that the Lord your God, who Elohim ha-el neeman, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep His commandments. So when we think about the fact that god is faithful and again this is a theme that is very prevalent in deuteronomy but it's prevalent all throughout the scripture it's prevalent in the prophets in the writings in the new testament god is presented to us as being faithful with the birth, the arrival of the Messiah, of Jesus, of Yeshua, when he burst onto the scene, it is in fulfillment of God's covenant promises. It is evidence that God is faithful. He is faithful. And if he is faithful, then that means that He is trustworthy. That we then, as we walk through our lives and navigate this, this walk with God, we can be assured and confident that God is going to be faithful. He's going to remain faithful. He's going to guide us. He's going to shepherd us. So when we think about this particular name of God, El Hane'eman, the faithful God, uh, that's that's really where our minds and our hearts should go. You know, think think about those covenant promises that he has made, uh, these, these new covenant promises that he has made, that we are forgiven, that our sins are forgiven, that he remembers them no more, uh, that we are new creations, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us that we have been given gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we are called to walk by the Spirit, to walk hand in hand with the faithful God, uh, and that we can trust Him every step of the way.
1: Yeah, I I love Deuteronomy 7 uh, in in general, Bobby, because it makes it very clear uh, when we're dealing with God's covenant promises that, God didn't choose the Jewish people because the Jewish people were more powerful or more faithful. And uh, in fact, it is one of the clearest illustrations of grace in the Old Testament. I remember when I first became a believer, um, somehow there was an extreme teaching that said there was no grace in the Old Testament. And then I began really studying my Bible, and I said, wait a minute, it's all over the place. Yes, for sure. And I think we have to understand that You know, even though grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that there's no grace in the Old Testament. And the reason for that is because God's nature never changes. Mm -hmm. God is always a faithful God. God is always a God who keeps his word. And so God is a covenant-keeping God. And so this name is just incredibly important uh, to us Uh, Let me just read verse 7, Deuteronomy 7, while we're there. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. Nothing about you would merit being chosen. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, that's the Abrahamic covenant made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way through. "'The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand "'and redeemed you from the house of slavery "'from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt.'" So that's still the precursor. That's one of the greatest demonstrations of God's grace, mercy, and covenant loyalty in the Old Testament scriptures is the Passover. God delivered the Jewish people who were undeserving of being delivered because he loved them and he kept his promises. Verse nine, "'Know therefore the Lord your God, "'he is God, the faithful God.'" Who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generation with those who love him and keep his commandments? And so, you know, when you see it in context, it's even more of a uh, more of a powerful name uh, for God. So, if the, if if the names of God are windows into his character, his person, to his attributes, to his plan, to the to the way. He, He relates to mankind. You do need to see that within a covenant-keeping context. And God is a faithful God who is faithful to his covenants and promises. And that's why we can say that God is still faithful to the Jewish people. He's kept the Jewish people alive through incredible trauma recently. God has kept the Jewish people in the land. even though there are those who sought the destruction of the Jewish people and wanted to to remove the Jewish people from the land. And it's not as if there was a lot of favor in the other nations of the world, certainly not in the Mideast and certainly not in various other parts of the globe. And there are strong movements against the Jewish people, against Israel, but it's important for everyone to know that when you make Israel an enemy, when you make the Jewish people an enemy, then you're making God your enemy. Mm -hmm. And you're going to lose that because God said to Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And all those who tried to destroy Israel were destroyed. And so don't be among those nations. Don't be among those people. That's the warning that I think this passage, this name of God, sends to an entire world. God will be faithful to his covenants. It's it's his nature. It's part of his program, and we must recognize that. And as Christians, support it. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to support the right of the Jewish people to have the land and the Jewish people not only should have the land, but they must have that land, because God is a faithful covenant-keeping God,
2: right? Amen. Amen.
1: Okay, just making sure you agree there, Bobby. You are <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent co-host here. You know, yeah. And uh, now, it, changing the subject just for a, a little bit, um, there is a lot of discussion about this word Elohim because it has a plural ending, and so is it a plural? Is it singular? Should we translate it "Gods" mm. or just "God"? So, how does all this work? And don't use the word nominative plural because I barely understand <laughs> okay. what that means. Okay, so keep it. Bobby's a grammarian, so you know, keep keep it keep it light for me, Bobby, For sure. Okay.
2: For sure. Yeah. But you bring up a great point because uh, yeah, we've we've said it, we've mentioned it already. But the the name, the word Elohim, which means God, it's plural. And why is that the case? Uh, and does it imply anything about the, uh, you know, the, the triune nature of God? Even well, uh, it, at, at the very like basic grammatical level, the term Elohim, which yes, it is plural, uh, but when we translate it, when we read it, when we understand it, uh, we should understand it as referring to one God. Okay, uh, the one true and living God. And why is that? Well, even though it's plural in the Hebrew, whenever it appears in sentences, if it has an adjective that's modifying it, the the Hebrew grammar rule is that the adjective must match the noun that it's modifying, okay? So the adjective for Elohim should be plural as well, but every time we see an adjective on Elohim, it's singular. And same thing with verbs. The verb should match the noun. So Elohim should take a plural verb, but what do we find? Every time Elohim is used, it's a singular verb. So even though it's plural, it's being used in a singular way.
1: You know, this reminds me of the discussion I had. I've mentioned this on the show before, but I'll I'll summarize it even faster. So I was debating with this ultra-Orthodox rabbi at Brooklyn College. We had book tables next to each other. We were supposed to be talking to students, but we were debating between ourselves. Mm -hmm. Then we were walking off in the afternoon. It was a Friday. And uh, finally, he got frustrated. I got a little frustrated. And he looked at me and he said, look, if your Messiah is God, that means we have three gods. I mean, how could you believe in three gods? And then in a very frustrated tone, he says, you make God so complicated. (laughs) And and I, I said to him, so if God is not three in one, then God is not complicated. He says, well, you've got a little bit of a point there. You know, I guess God is always complicated. Yeah. And so there is room in the Hebrew word, by using he- Elohim, there's room for a complex universe, For sure,
2: for sure. And, you know, we, we even see examples of it in uh, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis 1.26 is a great example. It says this, then God, okay, Elohim said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness. So this verse is often cited in discussions about the complex unity of God because of the use of us and our which, you know, some interpret as God speaking in sort of like a uh, a majestic plural, you know, to to indicate again this complex authoritative unified nature of God. So what we're
1: ultimately saying is that uh, even though the Hebrew word Elohim is used, you should not translate it as gods, which for me is good because we are never saying that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob should be called gods. The Trinity doesn't mean that there are three separate gods. The Trinity means that there are three persons, all unified co-essential co-eternal and that he is one god therefore elohim does not uh go against deuteronomy 6 4 where we read hero israel the lord our god the lord is one god yeah correct
2: yeah in fact elohim is used in deuteronomy 6 4. uh so it it doesn't go against it by any means right so it says hero israel the lord so that's yahweh our god elohim the Lord is one. He is.
1: Ah, so those people who were trying to say we should cut up our Bible based upon the use of the word. yeah, I guess they're wrong. I
2: think so. I think so. I think oh, well, it's just one, one yep. piece of evidence uh, in, a, in a sea of other pieces of evidence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so, but the point is clear that Elohim can refer internally to a complex unity. It allows for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can deal with the Hebrew word Echad later uh, when we deal with uh, uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, which we'll do in the next week or two. Right. But but there's, it's clearly uh, a plural that refers to a singular. Right. But it doesn't conflict with the idea that God could be three yet one. Right. And so let us make man in our image. So... T- tell me bobby how do the rabbis deal with that one you know i mean it's it's even translated that way in in a lot of uh, modern jewish translations who's doing this because genesis 1 1 says god created the heavens and the earth that's elohim isn't it
2: yes yeah genesis 1 1 again is another prime example of the plural noun elohim being used with a singular verb right so Right in the beginning, God, Elohim, plural word, right? Created, okay, that is a singular verb. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's followed by a singular verb suggesting that a singular entity, despite the grammatically plural form of the name Elohim, is a singular entity that created everything.
1: So there is an implication that... God could be more than one person. In other words, uh, Elohim is a complex term. For example, in Isaiah 6, 8, in the great passage about the calling of Isaiah, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for? Us. 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 (laughs) <laughs> you know and so how does Jewish tradition explain all this Bobby
2: Yeah there there are several ways that rabbinic sources or traditional Jewish sources will try to try to make sense of all of this uh One is that uh they'll suggest that the Elohim, the plural form of Elohim is used as a way of showing majesty or respect. This is the most common explanation uh that it uh, it's it's kind of like the royal we. They would say so. If you have a king or a queen who's issuing a decree, uh, they'll use plural nouns in their decree, uh, indicating that their office as king or as 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 queen, that, that their royal office is so majestic, a singular noun can't even contain it. You know, so it's kind of the idea uh, that some rabbinic sources will take when it comes to Elohim being used. Yeah,
1: and so we understand that God is one, but God is a complex unity. God is three, but one. Elohim does not prove it, but it certainly does not keep it from being true. And so the debate will uh, go on. But clearly, uh, we understand that there is a triune nature of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three but one. And Bobby, if you told me you understood that perfectly, I would say that you're wrong. (laughs) But you never have. Uh, So there you have it. And uh, I hope that this is enriching you and that you can... Maybe even have a better discussion with your Jewish friend about Jesus being God in the flesh. I'll tell you, the one, it was amazing to me when I first read the New Testament. Of course, I was raised more traditionally Jewish, and, you know, how could I believe that God could become a man? That was so antithetical to uh, Jewish teaching. And yet, when I heard the words of Jesus through reading the New Testament and saw his actions, I remember coming away saying, you know what? If anybody, was like God, it was Him. And I haven't changed that point of view in over 50 years.
0: In addition to partnering with local churches in the New York area, Chosen People Ministries is ready and available to speak at your church or missions conference. And we offer a variety of presentations on topics such as Jewish Evangelism, the Jewish Roots of Christianity, Messiah in the Old Testament, and so much more. So if you, your church, or your Bible study group is looking for another way to go deeper in your study of the culture, heritage, and history of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah, then please request more information today at chosenpeople.com slash radio. That's chosenpeople.com slash radio. And if you're not looking for a specific study topic, but you just want to let us know you're listening to this program, we'd love to hear from you. Just connect with us today at chosenpeople.com/radio.
2: You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. It's our desire to practice the Apostle Paul's mandate from Romans 1:16 to reach the Jewish people first. And we'd love for you to prayerfully consider how you can partner with us in this effort. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com radio. And when you reach out today, we'll send you a copy of our booklet, God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People.
1: When you reach out to us and order this book, you're going to really love it and enjoy it. It's, it's short, but it really tells the Bible story from a Jewish perspective. God's purpose has always been to save the Jewish people through the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. This reminds me of the Word of God in Isaiah 62, verse 1, where we're told that God's heart burns for salvation, to shine like a torch upon Jerusalem and Zion. The purpose of this booklet is to give my fellow Jewish friends and family members, along with believers all around the world, an overview of God's plan for the Jewish people as revealed in the Bible. And we'll send you the booklet, God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People, Free of charge when you call 888-293-7482, 888, the number 2, and the word Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A.
2: And then don't forget, if you'd like more information about this weekly program, or if you'd like to listen to past episodes, just visit us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic Benediction.
1: Yivarekha Adonai Vishmarecha Yair p'anavelecha ve lecha vihunecha. Yisaha donai pana lecha. shalom. Vyasem shalom the Prince of Peace.